Welcome to the Faith at Work Sermon Podcast. I'm Pastor Jim Melvin. Everyone is welcome here. My messages seek to mine real-life meaning from the words of Scripture. This universal meaning of faith is important for all of us, no matter what type of faith community, if any, that we identify with. We all have spiritual needs, and turning to Scripture and ancient wisdom is one of the best ways that I've found to meet them. Today we find Jesus effectively challenged by a woman he did not consider faithful. She didn't come from his religious tradition. The result is, well, let's listen to the story and find out. From Matthew 15. Then Jesus called the crowd to him and said to them, Listen and understand. It's not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but it's what comes out of the mouth that defiles. Then the disciples approached and said to him, Do you know that the Pharisees took offense when they heard what you said? He answered, Every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be uprooted. Let them alone. They are blind guides of the blind. And if one blind person guides another, both will fall into the pit. But Peter said to him, Explain this parable to us. Then he said, Are you also still without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth enters the stomach and goes out into the sewer? But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this is what defiles. For out of the heart comes evil intentions, murder, adultery, fornication, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile. Jesus left that place and went away to the district of Tyre and Sidon. Just then a Canaanite woman from that region came out and started shouting, Have mercy on me, Lord, son of David. My daughter is tormented by a demon. But he did not answer her at all. And his disciples came and urged him, saying, Send her away, for she keeps shouting after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. He answered, It's not fair to take the children's food and throw it to the dogs. But she said, Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered her, Woman, great is your faith. Let it be done for you as you wish. And her daughter was healed instantly. The Gospel of our Lord. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. I have vivid memories of Sunday mornings as a child. We would get up early and go to church in a white frame building with a towering steeple that could be seen from anywhere in town. Services were followed immediately by Sunday school, which I attended. My mother taught Sunday school while my dad waited out in the car listening to Paul Harvey on the radio and smoking cigarettes. We went to a German Lutheran church since my mother's parents, with whom we lived, were German immigrants. My father grew up in southern Illinois as a kind of Baptist and only kind of converted to Lutheranism to get grandma and grandpa's blessing to marry my mother. Church was torture, especially during the summer. Wearing a suit to church was required, and I had only one, which was made of thick, scratchy black wool with white flecks. When I wore it, I looked like I had a perpetual case of dandruff. 
The church building was always hot. Hot, of course, in the Iowa summer without air conditioning, and hot in the winter because Clarence Lemke started stoking, stoking the furnace with coal at 4 a.m. Sunday morning, supposedly for our comfort, but I suspect that it was at the direction of Pastor Louis Sagert to give us a preview of what hell would be like if we didn't listen to his sermon and obey. The point of all his sermons was clear and almost always the same. You go to church, a proper Lutheran church, you do that on Sunday, give 10% of your money to said church, follow the rules that you learned there, try not to be too happy in life, and then God might spare you the fires of hell, which Pastor Sagert, eyes burning holes in my chest, described in great detail. He never spent much time talking about heaven, well, not many of us would be going there anyway. In addition to my Sunday morning tortures, I sacrificed four years of adolescent Saturdays attending confirmation school, where Bertha Alm drilled us with memory work and Pastor Sagert took another weekly shot at describing life with the devil should we act out in class. The underlying idea of all of this was that entrance to heaven and the avoidance of hell was reserved for a few chosen Lutherans, probably German or their American descendants. My grandparents, Henry George Schmidtkans and Edith Minnie Wilhelmina Schmidtkans, were determined that we would be among the heavenly chosen, although they didn't hold out much hope for Dad. It occurred to me while reading today's story about Jesus and the Pharisees and the Canaanite woman that Louis never included this Bible passage in his preaching repertoire. Now you can see why. Jesus was way too slack in observing the religious laws and way too accepting of that heathen Canaanite woman. The story starts out with a report that Jesus was being criticized by the hyper-religious, rule-oriented Pharisees. They were upset that he did not properly wash his hands before he ate. Now, come to think of it, Jesus would have run afoul with our COVID-induced health guidelines today. But the Pharisees were concerned about hand-washing from a religious perspective, not a health perspective. Jesus didn't always eat things the proper way that they prescribed. Jesus said, It is not what goes into your mouth that defiles you, but what comes out of your mouth. In other words, what you say is more important than following the rules. The Pharisees were upset because they were the ones who made the rules and benefited from them. Our story then moves with Jesus going to the northern cities of Tyre and Sidon. Now, these were Gentile cities, which was another way of saying that they were non-Jewish. Despite Jesus' conflicts with some Jewish sects like the Pharisees, it's always important to remember that Jesus was a Jew, and he saw his mission was to minister to the unfaithful of his own religion. And that's exactly what he was trying to do, emphasizing what we say over what we eat in our rituals. Now, Jesus encounters a Gentile woman who approaches him and says, Have mercy on me, Lord, son of David. My daughter is tormented by a demon. Evidently, Jesus' fame as a healer and exorcist had preceded him. Jesus tries to ignore her. His disciples are annoyed by this unclean Gentile woman and urge Jesus to send her away. Jesus heeds their advice and tells the woman that he's been sent to minister to the lost sheep of Israel. 
In other words, his work only concerns the Jews, his own people. What happens next is one of my favorite stories about Jesus in all of Scripture. This plucky, plucky woman holds her ground and states defiantly, even the dogs get the crumbs that fall from the master's table. Anybody who's ever had a dog knows the truth of that. I picture Jesus stopping in his tracks, throwing his head back and saying, Ha! You got me. Because of what you have said, your daughter has been healed of her demon. And Jesus is hoisted on his own petard. He's just done what he had recently accused the Pharisees of doing, putting the observance of religious rules and protocols first. He could be described with a word he often applied to the Pharisees. Hypocrite. The story of the Canaanite woman is refreshing to me in its honesty. The writer of the Gospel was not afraid to show Jesus at his most human and unflattering moments. This is important because we have a Savior in Jesus Christ who meets us in our own humanity. When we have seen Jesus behaving like he did in this story, recognizing the error of his ways, changing his behavior and growing, there's usually a lesson to be learned by us. And I'd like to focus on two of those lessons today. And they are how we shouldn't judge people because they are different from us and the power of faith to heal. In my early church life, I was taught that what church you belong to was important, the most important thing in your life. And there was a sub-lesson involved also. It mattered what ethnic group you belonged to, namely white European. This was a subtle distinction that didn't make too much difference to me at the time. In Independence, Iowa, we had little opportunity to come into contact with people who were different from us. We were all the same. The only Asian people we ever encountered were those who ran the Hong Kong restaurant in the big town of Waterloo next door. I'd never heard of Buddhism. We did have one Islamic classmate in high school whose father was a doctor at MHI, the local mental health institute. But Islamic terrorism wasn't a thing yet, and a Muslim, as we called them, like Meltem Marer, was an exotic oddity. We had no African-American families in town while I was growing up, so we didn't see race as much of an issue. We good-naturedly, we thought, poked fun at the holy rollers who practiced some weird charismatic rites upstairs in the town library. But they were harmless enough, and I never knew any of them. And there were two Jewish families in town who ran a clothing store and a jewelry store. But I didn't even know that they were Jewish. Our biggest religious threat, in Louis Sagert's eyes, came from the Roman Catholics. They were going to hell for sure, and we shouldn't associate with them. We certainly shouldn't date them or marry them. But they had their own school, so we could coexist without much trouble. So we listened to our Sunday sermons, never questioning that Jesus might have some problems with the way we were behaving. Oh, how that world has changed. In the 1960s, the civil rights movement came into our homes through the portal of our TV. We saw a different kind of preacher, the Reverend Martin Luther King Jr., who preached a different message than Louis. And King's message felt kind and right. Asian people and their alien religious beliefs came to us through the result of the war in Vietnam, 
through that same TV. These people seem not only different, but threatening, dangerous. In the Middle East, the 1967 war in Israel drew our awareness to both Jews and Arabs and their religions. My little world got a lot more complicated, and today we live in that complicated and confusing world. So what does Jesus have to say to our modern situation? I suspect that most of us would like to respond the way that Jesus and his disciples first did. Try to ignore them and send them away. We can enact and enforce strict immigration policies that favor people who are more like us. We can harden our borders and promote fear toward the alien in our midst. We can teach our children that those other people are a burden to be avoided and excluded. To employ a much overused phrase, we can live our lives in silos, separated each from each other, so that we don't come into contact with nor deal with the problems of people from third world or developing uh, nations. We can repress people of color by perpetuating Jim Crow policies, official or not. In other words, we can try to go back to that white nationalist Eden in which I grew up. Unfortunately, the harsh realities of the COVID pandemic drive us in that direction. Or we can read this lesson that we heard today and share in Jesus' aha moment. We can let the reality dawn upon us that we unsuspectingly enjoy the fruits of white privilege, we who are shooing the dogs away from under the table so they can't even lick up the scraps. And like Jesus, we can grow in understanding and repent, change our ways. We can teach our children to respect. We can pay attention to what comes out of our mouths so it doesn't defile us. Not evil intentions, murder, adultery, fornication, theft, fault witness, slander, but love, understanding, compassion, and healing. We can envision a world where the words of MLK ring loud and clear so that we can finally realize his dream and live in a nation where our children will not be judged by the color of their skin and, I might add, by their religion or national origin, but by the content of their character. The second insight that I said I was going to share about today's gospel is about the power of faith to heal. Now, what, you may ask, does healing have to deal with religious diversity? Why did the writer of the gospel choose to juxtapose the story of the bigotry of the Pharisees with the faith healing of the Canaanite girl with a demon? We don't know what kind of demon it was, but we get very little information about the girl and her infirmity. The point is, though, faith has the power to cast out demons. The issues of racism, religious, ethnic bigotry, and our inability or refusal to recognize them in our own lives could appropriately be described as our modern-day demons. You have to admit, there's something demonic about the violence that we see in America and around the world. I am of the opinion that most of the people who are involved in that violence are good people, children of God. There are forces at work among us that drive us 
to evil and violence. A good word for that is demonic. When I read these two stories together, I infer that our faith in Jesus Christ has the power to cast out the demons of ethnic, religious, and racial hatred and violence. If we will say, Have mercy on me, Lord, son of David. We are possessed by many demons. The Lord will respond and say, Great is your faith. May it be with you as you wish. When we put our faith in the one who preached love rather than in our own ethnic or religious prestige and power, the demons are cast out. Now, wouldn't that be a healing miracle? As a postscript, in all fairness, I have to revisit my relationship with my youthful association with my church and Louis Sagert. Many years after I'd left independence, graduated college, and gone out into the world, I ran into Louis Sagert's widow. Louis had died many years before, but she invited me over for dinner, and we reminisced about the good old days when Louis was my pastor. I came to realize that in my memories... I was way too hard on him. He wasn't such a bad guy. Later in his career, he had gone on to head an organization that helped resettle Vietnamese refugees in the Midwest. Maybe he had read today's gospel and had come to have that Jesus aha moment. Or maybe I just misremembered. I don't know. I cherish my childhood and the memories of Grandma and Grandpa Schmidtkens. They were wonderful people. One of my best friends to this day suffered through those years of confirmation with me, and I think we're better off for it. We weren't bad people in Independence, Iowa, in the 1950s, and I was blessed to grow up there with a mom and dad that I had. But I can't go back there. None of us can. Instead, I must constantly repeat the plea for me and for the people in this country that I still love so much. Have mercy on us, Lord, Son of David. And I believe he will. Amen. Thank you for joining me today. May God bless you with grace and mercy and give you peace.